Hello, I'm Rena Grobe. And I'm Madvi Romani. And this is Misinformed, a show where we'll be talking about our latest internet obsessions. So Rena, what did you get obsessed with this week? This week, I have been thinking a lot about finances, specifically women in finances, what information are we taught about money, how to handle money, what are all the different inequalities that are inherent in how we're taught about money and how we're treated when we have money, or I guess rather not have money. So yes, for various different reasons, money and finances and the financial world and budgeting has been on my mind. This week, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal about the fact that not only was there a gender pay gap, but there was a gender stock gap. 24% of male employees actually got stock options in their jobs, compared to only 17% of women. I think that's a US figure. There's also an investing gap. So women invest in stocks and shares way less than men. I was thinking about all these films, you know, like Wall Street and The Wolf of Wall Street and all of this. Like it's just, you know, men betting on stocks and all of this sort of macho, adrenaline kind of fighting spirit of it all, which obviously leaves women out of the narrative. What's really interesting, though, is that when women do invest in stocks and shares, they do much better than men. According to a 2018 report from S&P Global, only 26% of American women invest in the stock market. However, a fidelity study from 2017 found that women who did invest outperformed men by 40 basis points. And obviously, there's a lot of financial inequality between the genders. I think it's no coincidence that now the two biggest trending shows on Netflix are Squid Game and Made both of which are about the stressful situations that people who are financially kind of disenfranchised find themselves in, the hard choices that they have to face and things like that. We've both been listening to this podcast called The Financial Feminist, where she kind of rightly points out that finance is a feminist issue because it's about power and women, in order to have equality, we do need financial equality too. And financial equality equals also power in our society right now. And this kind of brought to mind the fact that, you know, last week we talked about Facebook, we can see all of these billionaires like in Squid Game, and all these rich people sort of being really cruel. And if this idea that if you've made money, or money is evil, is, you know, a very old idea. But at the same time, I was thinking about, well, everyone does have to live in this world. And we do need women to be financially independent and secure. And it is a feminist issue, and it's also related to other things like sustainability, and you can invest ethically as well. Yeah, I think this is where I struggle with the entire issue a little bit, because yes, obviously I have to exist in this world, but is me contributing to the system helping equality in the long run? I don't know, I get very very dramatically torn about this. For one reason or another, finances has currently been a topic within my friend group, And just last night, I was having dinner with three of my friends, and one of the girls grew up in a household where money was not a topic of conversation. But me and the other girl were talking about investing money, and she was asking us all these questions. And like, I by no means am an expert. I'm learning myself. But there was this real sort of 
imbalance. I have guides in this situation. My parents are telling me what to do and teaching me how to do the things and answering my questions. And thus I have this kind of leg up. So they've set me up to be in a very good position. That makes it sound like I have money. I just mean, if you don't know about that, you should buy a piece of property to invest money. Like that never would have occurred to me if my parents weren't like, you should do that. And so there's, there's another inequality there in sense of just like, not even just like gender, race. If you don't have that support and you don't have that knowledge, then you're sort of left out from it. Do we keep working within this system or do we work towards equality? And I'm really split there because on one hand, I'm like the system shit, tear it down. On the other hand, I'm like, I'm going to teach everyone. I'm going to teach all of my friends, even though I don't really know, but through combined strength, we're all going to figure out how to invest money and how to make money, and we're going to win. We're going to win capitalism. And that sounds really bad. I don't mean it in the sense of, like, I want to be Jeff Bezos, but I mean it in the sense of, like, I want to be financially independent and stable. Yeah, what you're talking about there is you have privilege. And I think what the financial feminist does really well is she also has privilege, and she passes that on. And I like that. I think we're living in an age now with education and the internet where we can have knowledge and pass it on and one of the great things like you said that you felt torn about it I mean that's a political thing it's also like an emotional thing I would say and what researching all this stuff about money one of the surprising things because you know we're a podcast that tries to like I guess pass on some sort of information and education so the idea behind this podcast is like how can we help people feel financially secure like you want to do with your friends and of course, everyone who listens to this podcast, we consider them friends. So we would like everyone to rise together and feel secure and stable. One of the questions that the financial feminist asks, or she tells everyone, like, where do you start from when you think about your relationship from money? As she starts from recognizing your habits and your attitudes about money, do you feel stressed? Do you feel like it's dirty? Do you feel torn? Do you feel embarrassed? And these are really interesting questions to ask yourself when it comes to, first of all, recognizing your habits, I guess, because that's key to becoming financially kind of well and independent and getting that financial freedom, which is tied to women's emancipation. There's no way to separate those two issues at all. Women have been controlled because they've been financially controlled and they are still financially controlled today, as we can see in so many ways. And so I really liked one of her exercises in her podcast where she asks, number one, and I recommend everyone listen to her podcast, but if you want to do this right now, you can also do this and just press pause. The question is, what was your first memory of money like as a thing what was yours so I remember being asked in the US what I wanted to eat in a fast food restaurant I guess or a pizza place and I remember saying to my uncle and I think everyone was mind blown I was just like I'll just take the cheapest thing because I grew up in a situation where I was aware that you had to save it. So, and the next question is actually, how does that memory form your financial habits until today? It totally does. Like, I never go into debt. I make sure I always live within my means, no matter what that is. Um, and I think it's a good habit, but it also means, I guess, I'm kind of insecure about money and making money and it being this thing. So it's quite interesting. What was yours? We were still living in the USA, and I wanted a Barbie doll. I must have been five or six. And it must have cost, I think, probably $7. 
I remember thinking it was a lot of money. And my mom was like, okay, well, if you want that Barbie, you're going to have to save up for that Barbie. And I, I don't know, I must have gotten like 50 cents a week or something ridiculous like that. I don't remember. I remember asking my sister if we wanted to go halfsies on this Barbie, because then it would only take up half the time to save up to buy this Barbie doll. I don't actually remember if we did it, but that is my first money memory. That is so strategic, your financial genius. How do you think that carries through today? So for someone who's bad at math and kind of scared of money, like as a concept, I'm quite good with money in the sense of I don't really spend that much money, maybe on food and books. That's maybe the most extravagant thing I buy. I save a lot. Someone once told me that you should always save 25% of your paycheck in savings. And so I have been trying to do that where possible. So yeah, I have a I have an Excel spreadsheet going with a budget where I have guesstimated how much I spend on everything per month. And then I try to stick to that. I have two different budgets, two different Excel spreadsheets. I have a bare minimum spreadsheet. And I made this when I started working so that I would know what is the this sounds really bad. I don't want to say this is the bare minimum of money I can accept, but I just meant it was like, okay, how much money do I have to make for all my basic needs to be met, to be able to pay for my rent, my phone, whatever, internet, all the costs that you just have to have, like feeding yourself. And then I have a what I call a dream budget. Now, keeping in mind that like, when I say dream, I mean in a very like modest, humble way in a sense of like, okay, so what if I wanted to go out to dinner twice a week? What if I wanted to go see a theater piece once every two weeks? Like dream budget in that sense. So I'm very good at sticking to them. And but I also think it's because money terrifies me. Like I'm scared of the concept of money. But I can totally see the Barbie doll aged you in what you do now. It's very strategic. It's brilliant. And it's that's one of the things. I mean, just going back to emotion, we we both read this Vox article about a couple who came from different backgrounds. And one came from sort of a richer West Village family that owned property. So the other person didn't come from money. And what she said was for her, her parents, they wanted them to have everything so they bought them everything and they expressed their love and the abundance in like buying them all brand clothes and things like that and even though like sometimes the electricity bill was not paid and that's how they dealt with having less money and still trying to give their kids everything and then when she grew up she was really just had this attitude of like she spent all of her money Whereas the guy who came from the richer family, he really saved a lot and didn't spend much and didn't buy branded clothes and things like that. And that is interesting because if you grow up with scarcity, often I can go one of two ways, but often the reaction is that you really do want everything, a muchness and abundance. I was listening to this podcast called Brown Ambition. It's also a US podcast. They did this interview with a woman called Christine Platt, and she calls herself an Afro-minimalist. And she writes for the black community in particular because she says, well, ownership in the black community is like really, there's a heavy history there, obviously. You know, it wasn't until very recently that black people got to own things and, you know, are getting like their first generation, like really going to college and getting really high paid jobs. And they obviously want everything, you know, this abundance that's been marked to them all this time. And she says, when you think of the term minimalism, you think about Scandinavia, which is just white and this emptiness. And she says, well, you know, as a black person, I still want texture and color and things and warmth. But she had a really interesting point, which was that if you live in a kind of minimalist way and don't 
buy a lot, you have much more naturally. I mean, she actually says that like once she turned into a minimalist, she was able to send her, her daughter to college for the first time without any debt. So this is how much like the difference between, you know, spending a lot and buying a lot and not buying that much makes. But it's also linked to kind of sustainability, right? Because overconsumption is a big problem in our society and women especially are marketed to so much. We feel like we need a lot of clothes and makeup and things like that. And in a way, intentionally spending also affects bigger systems, right? Because it affects who you're giving, where money is going. So instead of going to like certain brands, she's redirecting it to her daughter's education. So really thinking intentionally Mm -hmm. about where you're spending and how you're spending. She has a few really good quotes. One is, it's not a deal if you don't need it. We are bombarded by like all of these sales all the time. And she really recommends turning off for saving in this way, unsubscribing from all newsletters, taking your credit card details off of sites so that when you need to buy something, you literally have to put your credit card number in. And that gives you a little bit of gap because things are so easy right now for us to just consume online and everything to stop doing that. And yeah, overconsumption is obviously linked to environmentalism and things like that too. I was say, one of the things that really, really helped me spend less money, which I don't do so much anymore now, but at the beginning really taught me about spending money, is having cash. Because when you're paying with a card, money is an abstract concept. You don't physically see what you're spending. Whereas if I, at the beginning of the week, would go get out money from the bank, and I was like, this is all I have for this week seeing that physical money in my hand would make it a lot easier to stick to a budget. Also, a tip that my mom gave me when I moved out from home, and this is still something I stick to, she told me that you always should allow yourself one small luxury within your means. So what she meant with that, for example, was when I was in college, I used to buy 22 euro mascara, which is a lot for mascara. But that was my small luxury for myself that was within my means. That doesn't mean go buy a Gucci handbag if you're making not a lot of money. You also need to give yourself something. Because what are you working this hard for? Treat yourself to something small. And I think that it's the same thing that a friend of mine was seeing a nutritionist. And some of the advice that the nutritionist gave her was, if you want to have a piece of chocolate... Don't deny yourself that piece of chocolate. Eat the piece of chocolate. Because if you keep denying yourself the sweets you want, you'll crack and eat four bars of chocolate, eight pizzas, and three tubs of ice cream. And it's kind of the similar thing. If you allow yourself a small, modest treat, a small luxury once per month, then you won't crack and buy, not to say that we're all, well, I guess we all are slaves to consumerism, but you won't crack and buy yourself $300 worth of makeup instead of a 22 euro tube of mascara once a month. Yeah, I was exactly thinking of the dieting thing, the dieting psychology there, which is absolutely so true. And that's the thing that this Afro minimalist was saying, like it's hard for some people because on her Instagram, she's got this quote that says, does the word minimalism trigger feelings of scarcity and lack? And it's the same when you're dieting, when you've got this feeling psychologically of scarcity and lack, and you know, you can't have something, then you're going to go and binge. So she just says, like, instead, just ask yourself, you know, can I live with a little bit less? Can I be more intentional with what I welcome into my life? And it's the same kind of thing. The other really great tip from this CNBC article which I think you kind of do, is splitting 
your monthly budget or paycheck into basically three envelopes, or in your case, three Excel spreadsheets or columns. Number one is spend, so the stuff you have to spend. Number two is save. And then number three is very interesting, is give. Mm -hmm. So like paying it forward. And that's the other thing with the Afro-minimalist and also with some of the interviews in Financial Feminist is if you do live with less or if you do save and if you do have that extra money, like how are you paying it forward? How are you giving back into the community and investing in communities or ideas or people or helping people who are doing like great work, you know, to get some rest or paying them? And that's such a nice concept. And that you can only do when you have money, right? And the other thing that's really important to note is unless you have money yourself and you have that security and stability, you just can't think about other people and doing things for your community because you're just worried about eating and paying the rent. Yeah, and it also links to kind of personal sustainability, but also like we discuss this a lot. You can't think about buying organic food unless have that a bit more money to do those things to quote my mother again she once said this to me thinking is a privilege of the rich because that's one of the reasons why all these old philosophers were always wealthy men who sat around and did nothing all day because they had the luxury to stop and think if you're in survival mode you're in survival mode you can't bother with other things I think that one one of the things that kind of made me feel a bit uneasy about a lot of this financial advice is is like yeah they encourage you to save and obviously we should all be saving but for some people it's just not realistic to put a, aside twenty five percent of your paycheck every month to savings like that's just not a reality for some people and I feel like there's a lot of shame around not having savings watched a lot of these like videos on YouTube that CNBC and Glamour all these do. And when people don't have any savings, there's always comments below of people being like, oh my God, she doesn't have any savings. How is she this age? She doesn't have any savings. You're like, you don't know what her path has been up till now. Like there was one girl who has her first real paying job and she says in the video that she didn't come from money. And same thing, like, yeah, now she wants to go out to eat. She wants to buy slightly nicer clothes. And everybody was like, she should not be spending all her money. She's 32. She should be doing this. I'm like, yeah, you know what? Maybe she should be saving, but let the girl have her moment. Life's going to screw her over fast enough as it does with all of us. Like, let her enjoy her money for a while and don't be so judgmental because you don't know everyone's financial situation and where they've come from or what they've had to deal with. Yeah, another thing, because there's a lot of focus on savings and also this myth that like if you're not rich, you're not good at saving and it's not true. It's just like the whole system is rigged against you, right? Another piece of good advice that I came across about savings was that before you start thinking about savings, actually, you should look at your debt and try and reduce the highest interest debt that you have. In the UK, this high interest debt is placed above like 8%. But yeah, the higher percentage you're paying on like whatever credit cards or short you know, payday loans, whatever, that should be your first priority probably to reduce those because otherwise it's kind of, they describe it as a leak in the ship. And then the other thing is, Okay, so you've got your save savings are really important because it's like this idea of a fuck you fund. So if you've got a manager who is sexually harassing you at work or you need to leave an abusive boyfriend or you just don't like your job and you just want to quit or you need a mental health break or something, it's good to have about six months salary kind of saved so you can take that break also for emergencies like we've seen at Corona times. After you get past that in your financial plan, 
The other thing is investing. And like I said, a lot of women are not comfortable investing. So women are not investing in shares. A lot of people don't have any financial education, which I think that should totally be taught in schools. But a share is basically a little, little, little tiny part of a company that you own. So say, for example, Amazon, if you buy one share for, I don't know how much one share costs, maybe, I don't know, 600 euros or something, then you own like a tiny, 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 tiny percentage of Amazon. And if Amazon makes a profit and the share prices go up, you get some of that profit. And at the moment, the banks are paying very low interest. So after you've got your fuck you fund or your emergency fund, I guess, as is traditionally called, you might think of investing and also investing maybe small amounts if you're unsure or amounts that you wouldn't mind losing. It does give you, in general, a bigger return than, for example, just keeping your money in the bank. And I know what you're thinking, we hate Amazon. And you don't have to invest in Amazon or all these terrible companies. There are lots of ethical, sustainable companies that you can invest in. And a really easy way to do this is through an ETF. So an ETF stands for Exchange Traded Funds. And basically, it's a bundle of stocks. So the key with investing in shares and stocks is diversification, which basically means don't put all your eggs in one basket. So you wouldn't, for example, buy British Airways and Airbus and Lufthansa because they're all to do with planes. And what if Corona happens and nobody's flying? All of those shares will go down. You lose a lot of money. So you would maybe invest in like lots of different industries to have a diverse portfolio. Are you with me so far, Rena? Yes, I'm absolutely <laughs> with you. Okay, cool. So an ETF is basically they get a bunch of stocks and shares. It's already diversified and you can invest in an ETF and you don't have to really think about it. It's a bit more passive, which is kind of nice especially if you're not so confident. And there are actually ETFs that specialize in sustainable ethical stocks. So they take out all of tobacco, weapons, gambling, things like that, and champion greener companies. And this is really worth doing because, first of all, it shows your choice in investment, which other companies will pay attention to because you're putting your money there. and it does influence, you know, how green other companies are or, you know, which companies are being invested in, which not. A study from Nielsen revealed that almost 75% of millennials will pay a surcharge for sustainable goods and services, which means that we are becoming more conscious kind of consumers. So these are not bad stocks to kind of invest in. Especially as women, we're not taught about investing, sort of discouraged from it. But actually, there are some really great resources out there. If you're in the U.S., there's a company called Elvest, and they will help you invest. And if you're in Germany or Europe, there is a company called Finmarie. And what's really, really great about them is you don't have to invest hundreds or thousands. You can start with really small, modest amounts. I don't know what their lowest is, but I remember a friend telling me that in Elvest, she invested 10 cents in something. So I think that, at least for me, I used to think that in order to buy an apartment or in order to sort of invest, I had to have thousands and thousands saved up. But actually, you don't. You can start with very little, and it's worth doing. And all women should be doing it. I would also recommend I subscribe to the Elvis newsletter, which is US-based. However, if you just subscribe to the newsletter and you don't work with them at all, you still get some really good articles about finance delivered to your inbox. And 
they also do a lot of like kind of free webinars around budgeting and planning. And also that the thing that's really important about finances is to first of all, just like think about it and not pretend it doesn't exist. And also to have goals, like what is your goal in the next five years? What is your goal in 10 years? For women especially, pensions are really important because our pensions are way less than men's, plus we live for longer. So the general advice on pensions is put as much money in there as possible from as soon as possible. But yeah, just to like get you sort of thinking about the topic, I would just go ahead and subscribe to those newsletters just to start getting familiarized with the sector and getting educated and getting those resources so you can start thinking along the right lines in order to make your life less stressful, more sustainable, and hopefully like just really rich in a way that you can also pay back in the future. I think we've talked about this in a previous episode, the women, the history of women in jewelry. Is that the reason why women often insisted on being given jewelry is because historically they weren't allowed to have bank accounts or weren't allowed to have money or manage their own finances. So jewelry gave them financial security because it could be sold and it was an asset they could have. I just think that's always a very interesting thing because I think women are mocked for these typical feminine things. And Yeah, and I think like when I was listening to this interview with the Afro-minimalist, she said that her ex-husband had loads and loads of sneakers. And she uh, asked him like why that was. And he said that when he was young, he remembered the Jordans coming out, the Nike ones. And he couldn't afford them. And his parents got him some knockoff ones. And he got teased a lot in school about this. And they counted up the amount of Jordans that he had. And it was by far the most amount of trainers that those were the most amount. So you shouldn't underestimate this like long history of, yeah, not just women and race and your family. And like, you know, and it goes back to you know, probably how your grandfather and I have memories of my grandfather never used to throw anything away. And then my mom throws everything away. And then I'm somewhere like, I find it also difficult to throw things away. So instead of thinking, well, that's just stupid, there is a real valid psychological, historical reason behind all of those things that, you know, it's really nice to calmly sit down, journal, think about those things, notice your behaviors, start writing them down. And then from there, you can start noticing those patterns and working in a more mindful way about money. And on that note, here are three things you can do this week to be a better person. Number one, have more conversations about money with everyone, yourself, your friends, your parents. Thing two, ask for more money. Do not be like the Pepsi CEO. I don't know if any of you read the interview but former Pepsi CEO who made $31 million a year claims that she's never, ever asked for a raise and she finds it cringeworthy. Don't be like her. Know your worth. Ask for what you're worth. And always remember to start off with a way higher figure than what you actually want so that if there's a negotiation, you still get a figure you're happy with. And number three, like Rena, open up an Excel sheet and start making lists about what you spend, maybe what you would like to save, what your goals are, and what you would like to give. Thank you for listening. Until next week, goodbye. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends. And if you like, you can share your internet obsessions with us. Tweet us at the underscore miss underscore informed or follow us on Instagram at the underscore miss underscore informed. 
You can also send us an email at misinformed.podcast at gmail.com. You can also listen and subscribe via YouTube. For news about the show or upcoming events and links to all our sources, references and other geeky inspiration, subscribe to our newsletter. You can find the link via our Instagram. We are an independent, non-profit podcast. If you would like to show us some love, you can make a one-off donation via our SoundCloud or support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash misinformed. Thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye.